It's Wednesday, May 15th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, a new study shows that there are fewer babies being born in the U.S. than in the past three decades. We'll dive into why the birth rate is falling and how other countries with the same issue are trying to turn it around. Then, the acting FAA head got grilled on Capitol Hill about the Boeing 737 MAX 8 airplanes. We'll give you the latest. And finally, what's keeping people from working at work? We're here to make your Wednesday smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Prudential. Prudential can help you understand how to reach your financial goals. Skim This helps you understand the news. The most complicated story today is about babies. Maybe it doesn't feel like it when you're looking at your social feed, but America's going through a baby bust. A new report out today from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that last year, there were about 3.8 million babies born in the U.S. Okay, sure, that sounds like a pretty big number, but it's down 2% from 2017, and it's the lowest in 32 years. The birth rate has got a lot of experts scratching their heads. It's a lot lower than expected, and it's important to keep an eye on because the birth rate has a massive ripple effect. We're going to get into why experts say the birth rate is dropping, why that could be a problem, and how other countries have dealt with the baby bust. So first off, this report looked at two things, birth rate and fertility. Birth rate compares the average number of births per 1,000 women in a year. The CDC says last year, that number was 59 for women between 15 and 44 years old, an all-time low. Almost every age bracket within that range saw a downturn. Teen births dropped by 7%. One exception, women between 35 to 44. Their birth rate went up by 1 to 2%. Translation, more women are having kids later in life. Okay, that's the birth rate. The fertility rate is the expected number of babies that a woman will have over the course of her life, based on birth rates for every age range. This new data puts that number at 1.72 kids per woman, on average. That's lower than some experts say it should be. More on that in a minute. So those are the numbers, but the big question is, why are women having fewer babies? Experts have some ideas. For one, more women are going to college and getting advanced degrees, which studies show means fewer kids. Also, the Affordable Care Act mandated contraception coverage. More contraceptives means fewer unintended pregnancies. Those have dropped 35% from 2007 to 2016. But even though women's lives are changing, not everything around them is keeping up. The U.S. is one of only four countries that doesn't have mandated paid maternity leave. And daycare is expensive, higher than the average annual cost of in-state college tuition. So having a kid and working means having to shell out. If you're not financially stable or you're in a lot of student debt, which many millennials are, having a baby may not seem like a smart idea. So that's why people are opting out. And that's a problem for the economy. Some say it's just the law of numbers. People are born and die. In order for the country's population to just replace itself, women need to give birth approximately 2.1 times in their life to make up for themselves and the cisgender men who are giving birth zero times. On average, of course. But the fertility rate in the U.S. has been well below that level for years. And fewer births means, over time, fewer people. 
and fewer people working, which means fewer people contributing to the economy, paying taxes, building businesses, etc. And meanwhile, the people who are here are getting older and need more help. But there's another view. Some experts say that's an old way of thinking. They say, thanks to migration, artificial intelligence, and better medicine, the country doesn't need to have huge populations, and that less children means less fighting over resources. Either way, the U.S. isn't alone. Other developed countries are facing similarly low birth rates and are trying to up their birth rate game. The New York Times noted last year that countries that show they care about gender equality, countries like France, Sweden, and Norway, have higher fertility rates than those that don't. And countries that have made those moves have shown improvements. That can happen in a bunch of ways, like making it easier for both parents to work. Japan struggled with low birth rate for years. Right now, it's at about 1.4. Last week, its government passed a law allowing all children ages 3 to 5 to attend preschool for free. The law also provides free daycare for children 2 and under for low-income households. A few years ago, in response to its falling birth rate, Germany implemented a policy giving both parents two-thirds of their income during parental leave for a whole year, along with two months where both parents can take off at the same time. After that law changed, Germany's fertility rate jumped to its highest levels in 43 years. Spain tried passing similar laws. In 2007, they passed a law granting fathers two weeks of paid paternity leave. Last year, they expanded it to five weeks, but it kind of backfired. Economists say that while fathers like the new laws, their desire to have more children decreased. Spending more time at home shifted their focus from quantity to quality. So what's the skim? The U.S. government doesn't have any laws like those on the books, but there are proposals in Congress that would offer parents some kind of paid leave. President Trump has also expressed support for paid family leave. And today's data isn't all doom and gloom. Experts say our fertility rate is still pretty high compared to other wealthy countries, and that younger women who aren't having babies right now may just be waiting until they're older. But some countries aren't leaving it to chance, and they're really getting into people's business. Poland's government put out commercials calling for people to breed like rabbits. And Denmark's government launched a Do It For Denmark campaign, encouraging Danes to have more sex on vacation. Making sex fun again for your country. It's been two months since the Federal Aviation Administration grounded the Boeing 737 MAX 8 airplanes, following two fatal crashes that were later linked to flawed safety features on the plane. And the MAX 8s are still not back in the air. But there have been a lot of questions about how Boeing got the green light for the MAX 8s to fly in the first place. Lawmakers on a House subcommittee got a chance to quiz the acting head of the FAA on Capitol Hill today. Congressman Rick Larson, head of the subcommittee, didn't hold back. The FAA has a credibility problem. The FAA needs to fix its credibility problem. So here are three big issues that came up during the hearing. First, how the FAA certifies that a plane is safe to fly. Starting with a certification system that lawmakers say gives Boeing and other companies the power to oversee themselves. This has been a big talking point. Acting Administrator for the FAA, Daniel Elwell, denied that it's a self-certification program. Here's how he explained the system, called the Organization Designation Authority, or ODA. ODA 
empowers private individuals at a company that has an ODA program to do certain tasks and make certain decisions, they are delegated with that authority that we then oversee. This isn't something that we give lightly. But critics say those people are company employees, not federal officials, which means they aren't protected from company pressure. At an earlier hearing, Elwell said the FAA would have to hire about 10,000 more people and spend about $1.8 billion a year to certify all aircraft under its purview independently. This is a big deal here because of a specific safety feature on the MAX 8. It's called the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, or MCAS. It was supposed to keep the airplane from stalling. Apparently, Boeing knew for a year before the crashes that a sensor connected to the system was malfunctioning. And they didn't tell the FAA until after the first crash in October 2018. And they didn't explicitly tell pilots to get trained in how to use the MCAS either. Which brings us to the second issue. How the FAA determines the pilot training needed to fly the MAX 8 and other airplanes. Democrats said the flight manual that went out with the MAX 8 didn't include enough information about how the safety systems work. Elwell agreed. I, as a pilot, when when I first heard about this, I thought that there should have been more text in the manual about EMCAS. I agree. These manuals and the lack of pilot training are something regulators are looking into. The third thing we learned during the hearing was what needs to be done to unground the Boeing 737 MAX planes. The FAA says it's still waiting for Boeing to show them it's made changes to the MCAS system we told you about. Elwell says they're expecting a software fix from Boeing in the next week or so. Then he said the FAA will check out Boeing's safety analysis and their training requirements, and that they'll check with a board of third-party evaluators before giving the planes the all-clear to fly again. Real talk. Planning for the future can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Prudential's financial wellness assessment tool can help you untangle your biggest money questions. It only takes five minutes to complete, and by the end of it, you'll know where you stand when it comes to achieving your financial goals. Because Prudential knows that knowledge is power, and the first step to financial health is understanding more about finances. Today, we're talking about why that's important for social media influencers. Social media influencers seem to live totally outside of the cubicle life. But it turns out even they can't escape the biggest corporate issue, the gender pay gap. A new study shows that three out of four influencers around the world are women, but they get paid 23% less than their male counterparts. The study says there are two possible explanations. First, there's no standard for what people should be paid. Influencers set their own prices, and women are asking for less. On average, female influencers are charging $351 per post, while men set their price at $459. That lines up with survey data which shows that fewer women negotiate their salaries. But there may be another reason for that. Competition. Influencers' whole job is to promote products and brands. A lot of times, those are gender-specific. Since there are a lot more female influencers out there, they have to lower their prices to be competitive. Meanwhile, men are kind of a rare resource, which means they can charge more. And yeah, if that 23% number sounds familiar, it's pretty much on par with the overall pay gap for the rest of the country. On average, women make about 80 cents for every dollar men make. 
Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from The Office and the distractions that annoy people the most. A global study found that your coworkers talking loudly on the phone topped the chart. The research firm Future Workplace surveyed over 5,000 employees working in corporate environments. Their other complaints? Office celebrations and visiting children. So not the most cheerful of survey results, but at the bottom of the list, the sound of coffee being made. Weird that it was even on the list. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, by texting the word SKIM to 66866. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 